This is KMTT. Tuesday, Parshat HaShavua, will be delivered by Rav Alex Israel. Our Parsha this week, Parsha Pinchas, addresses questions of leadership. The Parsha opens with the dramatic incident of Pinchas killing the uh, Jewish prince and the Moabite princess. And... Um, we certainly see several models of leadership in the course of the parasha, including the Bunotso of Chad, the women who are considered as Chochmaniot, uh, they are the wise women, the daughters of Slavchad. However, our attention shall turn this week to the appointment of Yehoshua. In a very um, modest parasha, little segment um, tucked away in Ravii, we see um, the appointment or the designation of Yehoshua as the next national leader. And I'd like to spend our time this week examining some of the language and some of the content of this uh, parsha, which appoints uh, the new leader, Yehoshua. I'll read some of the opening lines. Vayom HaShem Moshe Alei al har ha'avarim hazeh ro'ei Yisrael ota God says to Moshe, Go up, Har Ha'avarim, and see the land which I have given to Bnei Yisrael. You will see it, and you will be gathered to your people, as Aharon, your brother, was gathered to his people. And then he mentions the reason why they're going to die, as you rebelled against people, he mentions the reason of Moshe's transgression. This is the prelude to uh, Moshe's request to appoint a new leader. In other words, Hashem tells Moshe to go up Har Ha'avarim and to um, look at the land because he's going to die there. And this is the cue for Moshe to turn around and actually request that before he dies, there be a new leader. It's at this point, Moshe speaks to God and says, God, you have to appoint a man over the community. Um, that the community of God not be like a flock who have no shepherd. So first of all, let us uh, point out a few things. It's amazing that the initiative to appoint this leader comes from Moshe himself. Moshe, who started his career as a humble shepherd, goes back to those uh, wonderful metaphors. Let the community of God not be like a flock without a shepherd. And he understands, Moshe understands the need for leadership. He's uh, somewhat astonished. How can it be that God intends to remove him as leader without appointing somebody in his stead? And um, it is indeed remarkable that uh, Moshe has to has to suggest this himself. In fact, the language here is rather strange. By Daber Moshe El Hashem Limor, we have hundreds of times in the Torah, by Daber Hashem El Moshe Limor, but this is the only time we have that Moshe speaks to God, almost as if 
Moshe is commanding God, Yifkod Hashem Basar, God, you have to appoint a leader. How can it be that the people will be um, in a state of a absence of leadership? Um, one little word about the introduction here, um, which is read by different commentators in different ways. The, the introduction is how Hashem tells Moshe to ascend the mountain to see the land. Um, first of all, there's this very unusual phrase, Har Ha'avarim. Usually the, the place where Moshe is seen as dying is Har Nevo. If you look at the end of the Sefer Devarim, it talks about Har Nevo. And uh, this Har Ha'avarim is an unusual phrase. And of course, the language is La'avar. Uh, okay? The, 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 the notion of the, the mountain of passage this is the place which leads into Eretz Yisrael. And this can be read in one of two ways. The, the Shadal, the wonderful Italian commentator Shadal, uh, sees this as a sign of compassion to Moshe. He says here, um, God wanted to show him the land. Shireh Yisrael Krovim Elah that he should be able to perceive just how close Israel were to the land, and that everything he had achieved was not for nothing. Moshe is in this very difficult situation as having added his life mission. His life mission was to take the people to the land, and of course he is not taking them in. And, okay, he can't go in, but God says, you can at least look at the land, you can understand that you have brought them, you have brought them there. Essentially, you have fulfilled your mission. You didn't cross them over the border. Okay. But uh, as close as one can get, you have brought them. This is just a, a formal uh, step that's going to be taken into the, into the land. By seeing the land, Moshe is able to uh, understand that his mission has indeed been successful. That is the, the view from the Shadal. But if I look back at Rashi... Rashi seems to have a much harsher uh, imagery. He says uh, the following. Rashi, and I'll read a few lines. He says, well, first of all, he, he points about, Rashi points out the background. He says, why does suddenly God tell him now to look at the land? And he points out that all of the parashiot which precede this are dealing with the um, apportioning of the land of Israel. If you read through Perek Chavav, it's a very long uh, chapter which enumerates all the people, but as opposed to the beginning of Parshat Bamidbar, where the people were counted for a war camp, here they're not counted for war, here they're counted for settlement. And in fact, the 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 entire census ends off with a phrase in Perek Chavav, Pasuk Nun Bet, To these you will apportion the land, according to names. In other words, uh, we have a very clear sense that very soon everybody is going to be getting their nachala, their ancestral portion. Um, they talk about the lottery which will divide up the land. This suddenly creates a, a palpable sense that people are will have land, won't have land. And this induces the Benot Slofchad, the daughters of Slofchad, to come forward and say, wait, we might be um, women, but uh, we should be able to inherit our father's land. 
Everybody's talking about it. Everybody's dreaming about their plot in the land of Israel. Everybody is dreaming about their farm, what they're going to plant, how they're going to live in this new and exciting frontier. And Moshe. How's Moshe left? Everybody's talking about this. Moshe can't join in the conversation. Moshe is is feeling, well, I'm not going in. God says, okay, well, you can also go and look in, look at the land. Um, I'll read the Rashi. Rashi says, Why is it here? Um, when he says you shall give the land to them, Amar, God has allowed me to be involved in the apportioning of the land. Maybe I'm allowed to go in too, possibly. No, my decree is in place. You're not going in. And he gives an amazing um, parable. He gives an amazing illustration of this, Rashi. He says, it's an example to a king who decreed that his son could not go into his palace. And he imagines the situation of the king, along with his son, where the son is banished from the palace. He says, Nichnas Sha'ar, the king goes through the gateway, the long driveway to the palace, his son is accompanying him. L'chatser, they go to the outer courtyard, and maybe unsaddle their horses together, the king and his son, Vuhu Acharav, the son is accompanying him. Lutraklin, Vuhu Acharav, um they go to the to the grand hall and he is after him. Kevan Shebali the Kiton. They actually enter into the into the palace, he says, Sorry, my son, you can't go in. In this regard, I don't think we can help but feel that there is a uh, considerable cruelty, a very, very strong difficulty in the in Moshe. It almost, uh, whereas the Shadal felt that this was a sign of compassion to Moshe, a sign of kindness to show him the land, to give him a, a view of Eretz Yisrael. Uh, in Rashi's uh, perspective, he has his hopes raised. Suddenly everybody's talking about land. He's thinking, maybe I can go in too. We're almost there. And he follows the king through the driveway, through the gateway, through the out, outer court, only to find that the door to the palace is slammed in his face. And in this regard, there's something very painful about Moshe's experience here, something very, very difficult. Having said that, the greatness of Moshe, the greatness of Moshe, is his ability to keep going and to fulfill his duty to the very last he doesn't uh, resent anything, even though I will mention in a second uh, a statement by Rashi, which seems like it's a little resentful. But uh, rather, he turns around with a positive vision of the future and says to God, listen, Hashem, you haven't appointed a new leader. And let's uh, start reading the, um, the requirements for the new leader as they appear in a in, in the psukim, uh, you know, when somebody is looking for a new position, when somebody's looking to hire somebody, they put a advertisement in the newspaper or in wherever it might be, and they have to give the uh, the job requirements. They have to give the various skill sets and the various qualifications that the leader needs. In Moshe's view, what are the qualifications of the leader? And this is the way he talks. 
Yifkod Hashem Elokei Haruchot Lechol Basar. Let God, Hashem, Elohei Haruchot Lechol Basar, the God of flesh, sorry, the God of spirit for all flesh, should appoint Ish Al Ha'ida, a man over the community, Asheyit Seilif Nehem, who will go out before them, Vasheyavolif Nehem. And will come in before them. Who will take them out. Who will bring them in. And let the community of God not be like a shepherd. A flock who has no shepherd. I'd like to focus on a few things here. Number one. Moshe addresses God as. This is a very unusual phrase. Um, not used particularly often. And... The question is what it means. Why is this phrase used? What's, what is going on? That's number one. Second of all, what's the phrase? Who will go out before them and who will come in before them? What does that indicate? Um, so we're going to try and deal a little bit with these phrases. I think uh, let's start with the phrase Elohei Haruchot Lechol Basar. What does it mean? Let me mention before we start looking into the Mafarshim that this phrase appears in one other place in the story of Moshe, and that is in the middle of the Korach rebellion, at the epicenter of the Korach rebellion. Um, Mo- Moshe addresses God. He he doesn't want the people to be destroyed. Hashem is very angry with the people. Hashem says, Remove yourself from these people and I will destroy them immediately. And Moshe, um, Moshe and Aaron fall on their faces and say, All the people sin. Or one person sins and everybody should suffer. In other words, this is a phrase, El Elohei Haruchot Lechol Basar the God of spirits upon all flesh, which we've seen already in a moment of crisis, in the moment of Korach, and it relates to if one person sins, should everybody suffer? And here I dive into Rashi's wonderful explanation, where Rashi says, What is Elohei Haruchot? Lama ne'emar? Amar lifnei ribono shel olam, galui v'yadua lefanecha dato shekol echad ve'echad. You know full well Moshe said before God, the minds of every individual. And you know that no person is the same as the other. Appoint upon them a leader who will be able to tolerate each of them in their individual uniqueness. What does it mean, Elohei Haruchot Lechol Basar? The idea that each person is unique and you are the God of all spirit of human beings. Each human being is a world in, its, in himself and you, you have to be able to understand every single person. And likewise, of course, you understand everybody's uniqueness, but will there be a human being who can understand everybody's uniqueness? That is the power of leadership. If I have to put it simply... What is the requirement? What are we going to write on the advertisement for the leader? It is the ability of a leader not to club everyone together, 
not to lead as masses, but to understand that each person has his own mistakes, has his own strengths. He has to deal with each constituent party in its own in, uh, own amazing way. And uh, that is the, the incredible feature that the leader needs. Um, the, this is one explanation. This is the explanation of, of Rashi. And we're now going to look at a second explanation, which is the explanation of the Nitziv. And the Nitziv says something very, very different. I'll read to you a, a few lines from the Nitziv. He says, Basar mashma'ohan atagufu. That basar always indicates the physical bodily pleasure. And uh, what's ruach? Ruach is da'ato, is his mind. And he says, what does it mean, Elohei haruchot basar? It is the idea that each person's mind is frequently drawn after his physical comfort. We're, we're human beings, we're weak. And that is why it's difficult to leave Israel in truth. Unless one is a person whose mind is resolute without any personal self-interest or benefit. Later on, Yoshua is described, Yoshua ish asher ruachbo. And he says, Rucho hainu da'ato. What does it mean, Rucho? That means his mind. Rucho omei bifneatzmo. He is independently minded. And he is not swayed or diverted for self-centered designs. For Rashi, the most important thing was to have a leader who was attentive to the people, a leader who understood each individual, a leader who was attentive to each, each citizen of Israel. But then Nitziv is far more interested in somebody who won't be drawn after partisan politics, and maybe even worse than that, somebody who is susceptible to corruption. And this takes us to the heart again of the of the Korach Rebellion. In the Korach Rebellion, um, Moshe, apparently, even though we don't hear it explicitly, was accused of corruption. And he then says, I never took any bribes. I Nobody gave me a donkey. I've never been banned to, to anyone. Then it's, if, it's, if Rashi is concerned, of a certain, how should we call it, a certain single-minded leader who can't, who has his own ideas, Rosh Bakir, he has his own ideas and just goes ahead not thinking about the people, then the Tziv is worried about a leader who is too easily swayed, who is swayed by favours, who is influenced by luxuries and corruption. And he says the most important thing, Elohei HaRuchot Basar, is that the Ruach prevails over the Basar, that a person's ideology, a person's truths, a person's sense of leadership is not swayed by Basar, by his human humanity, by his uh, weaknesses, and that we need a resolute leader, a leader who is able to lead on principle and not to be uh, diverted by the ways that some leaders, unfortunately, even in today's world, are, are, are deflected from their leadership. Let's move on to the second phrase, What does it mean exactly? What does this phrase indicate? So I think at the most simple phrase, um, again, let's look at some of the Mepharshim. Ibn Ezra, means the Milchama. It's talking about war. Likewise, this is Forno, And this is certainly um, true. If you look at Shmuel, if you remember in the book of Shmuel, the people wanted a king and they wanted a, a, a melech and they say, 
Shmuel Aleph Perak Chet. Vayomru Loki Melech Yehaleinu. We want a king. Vayinu Gam Anachnu Kuchol Agoyim. We want to be like the other nations. In other words, we want a a political leader who can give us the resilience that other nations have. A political system which is as robust as the other nations. Or Shafatanu Malkeinu. He will go out before us. Go out before us means he will fight our wars. He will fight our wars. Similarly, um, in the in the military perspective, um, if you look at the appointment of David Hamelach Shmuel Bet Perakhei, Vayavul Kol Shiftei Israel Al David Chevron Vayomer Hinu Nuat Mechal Versarcha Nachnu. The people come to Chevron to anoint David as king. And they say, Gamet Mo, Gam Shilshon. Even in previous years, Biot Shaul Melech Aleinu, even while Shaul was the king, Ata Hayita Hamotzi Vahamevi Israel. Exactly the same phrase here. What does Hamotzi Vahamevi mean? It refers to the fact that David was a senior army captain, a senior officer in the army, and this leads to his coronation. So, as far as we're concerned, Moshe is requesting somebody who has uh, a sense of ruach, a sense of spirit, a sense of leadership, but also uh, what is critical is um, that be able to lead the people in war. And uh, we understand this quite naturally because the immediate need is to capture the land. The, the, the mission at hand that uh, Yehoshua is going to have to face is uh, the conquering of Eretz Israel. Nothing is more important than a war leader who can who can uh, guide them in this regard. If Moshe had to be the, the the Navi, if Moshe had to be the prophet who would bring the Torah down to Israel, Yehoshua has to be the war leader who will lead them into the land. And uh, therefore, this capacity of is exactly what it means they need a captain they don't only need a shepherd they need a commanding officer here I would like to spend two minutes on God's response God then says Yoshua is the man and you're meant to place your hands on him one very important feature is that Moshe rests his hands upon him, what we call smicha. Smicha always indicates um, transfer of authority. It's interesting that in the in Sefer Vayikra, you can, when you bring a korban, you bring a sacrifice, you have to rest your hands upon it. What you're doing is, if you want, trans, transposing or um, somehow passing on something of your persona, your authority into that animal. Um, likewise here, Moshe is not only commanding Yoshua, but he is resting his hands on him, and this is where we get in the rabbinic sense, smicha. Smicha is when the rabbi um, invests his authority into his pupil, into his uh, student, and says, now you have the ability to rule. That's what smicha means, that the rabbi is somech. Um, he, He rests his hands on him, saying, I'm vesting you with authority. Here, Moshe is doing the same thing. But he has to do it le'enehem. And later on it talks about exactly this idea, lifnei kol um, And he does this in full public, and you can see it in, in detail. Um, 
in Sefer Devarim. Why is this so important? It is critical that, I mean, it must be so difficult to take on the leadership after a leader who's been around for 40 years. I know that I uh, lived in England in the 1980s and um, when Margaret Thatcher, who had been Prime Minister, I think, for almost 15 years, when she resigned, the feeling of, of, of a leader who had been so strong, who had been the leader really for all of my teenage and adult life, suddenly resigning, really gave us a sense that we were a son asha'in lahem ro'eh. And um, if you can imagine that for the, even the Iron Lady, but uh, Moshe Rabbeinu Lahavdil is, is way above that. Not only a leader of 15 years, but a leader of 40 years. It is certainly a tall order, a very difficult task for Yehoshua to take over. One of the critical conditions is that Moshe should give his full backing to Yehoshua. And therefore God understands this and he says, Moshe has to rest his hands upon him, le'enehem, publicly, so that he invests him with full authority, that nobody is in any doubt that Moshe has approved of the new, the new leader. However, God makes an interesting adjustment to what we've heard before. Moshe says that uh, the leader is not going to be a leader alone. It's not going to be there's going to be one shepherd, but really two. Let me read the line here. It says, <clears throat> you shall stand Yehoshua before Elazar HaKohen and before the community. And it says, <clears throat> You shall stand before Elazar and he will consult of the Urim. This is the breastplate of the Kohen Gadol which had some prophetic abilities. And this is a very interesting recalibration that God makes. Let me explain. Before we say that Moshe requested that the leader go out before them and come in before them. In other words, he will lead the battles independently. What does God say? God says, take Yoshua, he will be the leader. However, he will have to stand before the Kohen and consult with God. Al pivyetsu, al According to the mouth of either God or Elazar, he will go out and come in. The same Yitzu v'yavol, but there is now a, a leadership where the leader can't do things by himself. The leader has to do things under the jurisdiction of the Kohen Gadol, under the jurisdiction of God's permission, which is achieved through the Kohen Gadol. And this sort of shows us the difference between uh, Moshe and Yehoshua, or Moshe and any other subsequent leader. Moshe was not only the leader, the Melech, he was the Navi, he was so many things. Moshe could communicate with God in an unusual way. Every subsequent leader isn't invested with that much authority and with that much responsibility. And therefore, when God, when Moshe asks for a leader, he asks for a leader in his own image. He says, a man who will lead the people will be the shepherd of the flock and he will lead the people out and bring the people in. God says, yes, that's true. I will. But now there has to be a leadership, a certain hierarchy, a certain government, certain checks and balances. Yoshua isn't Moshe. They say, Pnei Moshe, Pnei Hachama. The face of Moshe is like the face of the sun. 
but the face of Yoshua is like the face of the moon. Yoshua is the reflected light of Moshe. Yoshua isn't in the same league of prophecy. He can't talk to God whenever he likes. However, the worry is that because he cannot talk to God, he will not be connected to God. Therefore, whenever he wants to go out to war, what he has to do is he has to consult and gain the permission of the Kohen Gadol. And indeed, uh, later on, we if you look in the Rambam, in Mishneh Torah, in Hilchot's uh, the laws of kings and their wars, we have the idea that the king cannot take his people out to a milchemet shoot unless he gets the permission of the Sanhedrin. And it's sort of like here. There are checks and balances, and Yoshua is not the absolute leader. Moshe said, God says, No. We're in a different league of leadership and a different generation and you can't have a single leader that can lead to so many many so many distortions now we have to have a leadership where the leader consults with the Kohen Gadol the Kohen Gadol has to bow to the to, to the to the king and through this complicated system of checks and balances we will have a successful leadership so let's try and summarize what we've seen today we've looked at uh, the way that Moshe understands almost, if we can say such a thing, more than God, that in an absence of a leader, the people are going to be desperately in dire straits. And therefore, it is Moshe who instigates this search for the leader. And we talk about the notion of uh, which is interpreted by Rashi as a sensitivity to every person and understanding that the nation is made up of many factions, many individuals, who all need to find their answer in the leadership. We can't have any uh, dictatorial leader or a leader who doesn't understand the nation. Or according to the Nativ, we're looking for somebody who is immune to corruption. We also spoke about the way that God adjusts the profile of the leader, whereas uh, Moshe requests a leader who can do everything. God adjusts it and makes uh, the leader be somebody who... Um, is ensconced in, in, a, in a wider hierarchy of government and uh, we're not looking for a single leader now we're looking for a leader who will interact with the Kohen Gadol and with other people in order to further the leadership of the country however I would like to end the year on the same way in which I began I began the year talking about how, how difficult it was for Moshe as an individual not to go into Eretz Israel, And we read the Shadal, who said that God was consoling Moshe, and we read Rashi, who seemed to talk about God slamming the door in his face. In this regard, I would like to turn to one of the amazing Midrashim, um, which appears here, and particularly in regard to the phrase, Vayedaber Moshe Hashem Leimor. We said that uh, it was the person who instigated the search for a leader was Moshe, and it uses this phrase, which usually lashon dibor is lashon kasha, um, uh, uh, talking harshly. Um, and uh, if God Hashem basar Moshe Moshe commands God appoint a leader, and if God appoint a leader, and let me just read you the amazing midrash that appears in, in, in the midrash Rabbah here. I'll read it in English because the Hebrew takes a while. 
Let God appoint. Mashallah It is a parable to a king who once noticed an orphan girl and wished to take her hand in marriage. He sent messages with a proposal of marriage, but she refused. I am not worthy of royalty, she said. He sent marriage proposal after marriage proposal. Seven times. She did not initiate a thing, but in the end, she conceded to marry him. After some time, the king became angry with her, and he wanted to divorce her. I never wish to marry you, she cried. You courted me. If you desire to divorce me and to take a different wife, do as you have decreed, but promise me that you will treat your next wife better than you have treated me. That is the mashal. The mashal is of a king who badgered a certain woman, a woman who was an orphan girl, who wasn't interested in marrying a king and thought she was not worthy, and um, asked her again and again until she agreed to marry him. But then when he divorced her, this queen says, well, okay, fine, you want to divorce me, I will accept your divorce, but on condition that if you ever get remarried, you treat the next wife better than me. And... Um, the Midrash then continues in the name of Rabbi Shmuel bar and says, This is like God himself. He says, He implored Moshe seven times at the snare, at the burning bush. Seven times God seduced him or implored him that he will accept the task of leading, leading the nation. And Moshe refused Time after time after time, etc., etc. Now, later, he tells him, You will not lead the people into my land. Moshe said to God, Master of the universe, I don't want to give up my task, but since you have so decreed, promise me that you will not treat the next leader in the way that you have treated me. Rather, he will go forth before them but he also come in before them. This is a very biting Midrash, where it sees hidden behind the words of Moshe, some sort of, I have to say this is really a Midrash, because I think if you read the text, you don't see this very biting text, this very biting subtext, but the Midrash puts some words into Moshe's mouth, some amazing words, and says, when it says, Vaidaber Moshe Hashem Limor, he's speaking harshly, and when he says, he says, fine, I went out before you, but you're not letting me come in before you. You're not letting me come into Eretz Israel, which is my uh, you know, heartfelt desire. If you took me as leader, I didn't even ask for the leadership. Don't knock me down before I have fulfilled my role. And uh, once again, we return at the end of the year to the very harsh decree, which Hashem decreed against Moshe. Um, having said that, Yoshua is an incredible replacement for Moshe. Everything we know about Yehoshua um, expresses the, the fact that he is a very able leader. Our first image of Yehoshua in Torah is when he was the general. He was the army captain for the war against Amalek. Yehoshua is a person who has strong military experience. Second of all, we all know that Yehoshua was one of the spies who went into Eretz Israel, which indicates a couple of things. First of all, he actually knows the terrain and the environment of, of the promised land, and he can lead the people with confidence and say to them, I know this place. I'm taking you there. I've been there. I know what it's like, and I'm not afraid. 
Likewise, in that story of the twelve spies, he is one of the spies who was in the minority, but kept his independent voice. And therefore we certainly can feel, along with uh, the Nativ, that this is a person who is not swayed by the majority, not swayed by favours or, or, or honour, but he knows how to be resolute in the face of opposition. And therefore we can fully understand that Yehoshua um, is a wonderful candidate for the job. The last thing in his resume, in his CV, which makes him eminently suitable, is the fact that he is Moshe's assistant. He is the Na'ar Moshe. Um, Yoshua has had 40 years of apprenticeship, 40 years of sitting around the cabinet room table. He has listened to many of the difficulties and sat there watching the leader, having, having an amazing first-hand experience of seeing the way to deal with triumphs and crises, to deal with the everyday management of the nation. And therefore we can fully understand that Yoshua is the person that HaKadosh Baruch Hu chooses, Ish Asher Ruach Bo, um, even though there will be adjustments which will be necessary as we move from the period of the Midbar to the period of Eretz Yisrael. So here we are with a new leader, with Eretz Yisrael in our sights. Um, and uh, on this note, we will close our shir for this week, wishing everybody a Shabbat Shalom and looking forward to our shir for next Shabbat. Okay, bye-bye.